they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome. Welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, June the 24th, which would normally be the Feast of the Nativity of St. John the Baptist, but because the Solemnity of the Sacred Heart falls today, the Solemnity takes precedence. We celebrated the Feast of the Nativity of St. John the Baptist yesterday. He's born six months before Jesus. That makes sense. <laughs> Longest day of the year. Isn't that interesting? And then the shortest day, right when Christmas comes. It's exactly. an interesting thought. Because after John the Baptist, the days start to decrease, and yep. after Jesus, the days start to increase. Yep. But we'll, we'll pray at um, the Angelus. Um, it is noon and the incarnation. And that's the sacred heart of Jesus. This feast day has a lot to do with the fact that our God is incarnate. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary. Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the Word was made flesh. And dwelt amongst us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Most Holy Mother of God, that we be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we, to, that we to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may it by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection, through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. And we ask the angels to join us here. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaoth. Pleni sunt celi et terra, gloria tua, hosanna in excelsis. Benedictus qui venit in nomine domini, hosanna in excelsis. So here we are, June 24th, 2022, and in the providence of God, God has ordained that this would be the day that the announcement, the official announcement came, that Roe versus Wade has been overturned. <laughs> and, you know, God is incarnate. Jesus Christ became man. And, you know, sometimes Protestants wonder why we Catholics, why do you celebrate the sacred heart of Jesus? You know, I mean, Jesus is in heaven now, whatever. Why do you Catholics still have Jesus on the cross? Well, we never want to forget what Jesus did. And even in heaven, he still has his body. And by the way, look at Revelation 5. He still bears his scars. The victim who immolated himself offers for all eternity that act of immolated love. The Lamb of God still bears his scars. And so, you know, in the Gospel of John, the, because the Sacred Heart of Jesus is a solemnity, it, we have in, in the Catholic Church for solemnities and Sundays, we have a three-year cycle of readings. So there's a three-year cycle. In year B, the Gospel is from John. And in that Gospel, we have one of the soldiers thrust his lance into his side and immediately blood and water flowed out now this is remember jesus died on the cross and and so it's it's the it's the um sabbath the jews want the bodies taken off the cross they don't want them there on the sabbath because it was a solemn feast day passover and so uh, the sabbath associated with passover so they um the romans came and they broke the legs of the two thieves who were on the other side of jesus first the one or the other that way the men would suffocate together 
immediately because they couldn't push themselves up on their legs. When they come to Jesus, Jesus is already dead. So the, sh- the soldier thrusts his lance into Jesus' side. And it's always been believed by the church that he pierced the heart of our Lord and from his heart flowed out blood and water. And the church tells us that that's the sacramental life of the church. Mm-hmm. This is Christ pouring out everything. He, he kept nothing back. Everything was poured out in his passion for us. And he is incarnate. And so we honor that heart. We honor that, yes, his human heart, which was really united to the second person of the Blessed Trinity. And, you know, that heart bleeds for every innocent human being who was ever killed, for every sinner who sins, for every criminal that commits a crime. Jesus doesn't want anyone to go to hell. In, in, the, in the account of the last judgment, Jesus said, I will say to those on my left, out of my sight you condemned into the everlasting fire that was prepared for Satan mm. and his angels. Hell wasn't prepared for human beings. Hell was prepared because part of the angels rebelled against God and refused his love. And this is the heart of Jesus. It represents his tremendous love, this tremendous lover. Behold this heart, which has so loved man and been loved so little in return. And in our own time, you know, have we been lulled into complacency? Have we been lulled into a silence that we allow the killing of the innocent to go on in our land as if there was nothing wrong. I remember Randall Terry years ago when he started Operation Rescue and he said, if you believe that abortion is murder, then act like it. Yeah, that's what he said. If you believe that you're killing innocent human beings, well, we need to do something to stop it. Yep. We, and, and yes, to pray. And, and I realize there are people who have threatened violence. It's interesting. That's what the devil always inspires is violence. And that, that's a, a note to all of us in the pro-life movement. The devil will tempt us to violence too. You know, when people start hurting us and hitting us, we want to fight back. Jesus didn't fight back on the cross. He surrendered himself. And we need to unite our sufferings. I'm sure you talked about that today, the the little 12-year-old boy Mm -hmm. who offered his sufferings. Here he is, 12 years old. He's dying. He's been suffering in the hospital for three months. And the priest comes and he tells him about redemptive suffering. And the little boy starts crying. And father says, well, why are you crying? And he said, because I've wasted a year of suffering. (laughs) He was 12 years old and he's not concerned about the fact he's not feeling sorry for himself because he had to suffer. He's like, oh, my goodness. You mean I could have offered this whole year to God all this suffering? Nobody told me. Mm. And, you know, it's okay If nobody's told you you can offer your sufferings, offer them now. Exactly. Because, no, they're not wasted. Even sufferings of the past because his passion is forever. The passion of Christ stretches from the beginning of time to the end of time to redeem all of mankind you know, even though it happened in time at a specific moment. Mm -hmm. And so we look to the heart of Jesus to learn how to love. And how does he love? He loves unto death. He who is totally innocent surrenders himself up to torments and death in order to save us who are guilty from our sins. He didn't come to eradicate human suffering from this world. He came to fill it with his presence. And in this historic moment in our country, we need to really pray for that gift to be able to respect life, to, again, remember that life is a free, unmerited gift from God. It's a gift. 
how are we using that gift? Are we praising the Lord with it? And we need to lift up the praises of God to bless him and give thanks to him and glorify his holy name for what he has done this day in our country and to beg him to move the hearts of those who vow violence to be changed. Remember when Paul was preaching the gospel, remember why he appealed to Rome? Because <laughs> he was in prison and he received word from his sister because his sister's son had heard that some Jews take a vow that they would not take any food until they had killed Paul of Tarsus. And so Paul knows that if he goes back to Jerusalem, they'll attack him and they'll kill him. So when he is brought before the, the tribune and the tribune says, well, will you go to Jerusalem and face these men? He's been warned. And he says, no, I appeal to Rome. I'm a Roman citizen. I have that right. And he was a Roman citizen and he did have that right. And we're American citizens, and we have a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But remember, in the, the mind of the, of the fathers, the founders of our country, the pursuit of happiness is not the pursuit of license. It's the pursuit of a dignified, noble life where we can support our family and be able to earn enough to be able to support our family and feed them without the government taking everything through taxes. Mm -hmm. This is, you know, do we understand what our founding fathers were doing? Limited government. We're supposed to govern ourselves because we're all supposed to be biblically based, godly people who are willing to answer to God for all of our actions. Do we know that we will stand before God and answer for all of our actions? Are we considering this? And this is what the heart of Jesus, he's calling us to love. Do we understand how much he loved us? Look at the cross. Look at the cross, the greatest proof that there's a hell. Because why would he go through so much suffering if there weren't something very terrible and very real from which he wanted to save us? And it's the greatest manifestation of heaven. How can you suffer that much unless you love greatly? Are we willing to suffer like that for the babies and their mothers? You know, they talk about safe and legal abortions. It just... The lies, the lies that this whole thing was propagated on. Griswold versus Connecticut, based on the lie of a right to privacy. Eight years later, Roe versus Wade, based on the lie of a right to privacy. As Ben Shapiro says, what universe are you living in that you think parents have a right to kill their children? Hmm. And, and, but the reality is, is women die from the use of contraceptives and from the use of abortion. Induced, induced surgical abortion, also chemical. That, that pill, that RU-486 pill and the other abortion pills, they can cause you to die. So, you know, it's not safe for women and it's not women's right to reproduction. I mean, what's reproductive about killing your children? I thought reproduction was having children. <laughs> you know, if we're protecting a woman's right to reproduction, we should, be, we should be protecting a woman's right to have children and be able to raise her children without the interference of the state or social groups that pressure her to say, oh, but you're not really happy taking care of children. What do you mean? <laughs> I'm not really happy taking care of my children. Who's making this decision for me? So we want to praise God. We want to give glory to his holy name. We want to acknowledge that this decision came down on this great feast of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. We want to pray diligently for the coming of the reign of the Sacred Heart of Jesus in our world. So thank you for joining us here on this Friday, this historic Friday, June 24th, 2022 on Virgin Most Powerful Radio, Bible with the Barbers. Tell your friends and family to tune in and listen. 
And thank you for all your support and your prayers. And let's keep on praying and redouble our prayers and sacrifices. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome, welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on this historic Friday, June the 24th, the feast of the celebrated feast of the Sacred Heart of Jesus this year, 2022. We give praise and glory to God for his goodness and his mercy toward us and towards the little children, the innocent children and their mothers. And also towards the doctors, how many doctors have been coerced into becoming abortionists because it was required of them in order to get their medical decree. Mm-hmm. And so we want to praise God for the freedom that has been won this day in our country. But we have to know that freedom comes at a price. And we have to pray and sacrifice. Because as Abby Johnson said, I don't want to see abortion rare. I want to see it unthinkable. Exactly. But the hearts of the people have to change. The hearts of the children need to turn back to God and the hearts of the fathers need to turn to their children and the hearts of the children need to turn to their fathers and everyone needs to turn their heart back to God. Mm. Even as the heart of God turns to us, God has a heart. Mm. Yeah. The thoughts of his heart last from generation to generation to rescue them from death Mm. and keep them alive in famine. And the second person, the blessed Trinity really became incarnate. He really became man. It wasn't play acting. He wasn't pretending. He didn't just appear to be human. He really took to himself a human nature. And the church tells us this in Catechism 478. Jesus knew and loved each of us, each and all, during his life. His agony, his passion, and gave himself for each one of us. By the way, that means for each one of us as if we were the only one. Yes, he is God incarnate. And so he could think of each of us individually as he was going through his passion. He became man for us. The reason he came, became man is to reverse the sin of Adam and Eve, to reverse the, 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 we had lost the friendship of God. And he came to recapitulate all things in himself, to take them back to the father, to take us back to the father. We belong to God. We were made by God. We don't belong to Satan and we don't belong to his kingdom. But unfortunately, if we sin and give ourselves over to mortal sin, we will be slaves in his kingdom. But we belong to God. We belong to to God and we belong to his love. And and that love gives us freedom, freedom. St. Augustine said once, he said, love and do as you will. Because Mm -hmm. if you truly love, you will keep the commandments of God. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, the Lord said. He equates obedience to the commandments with love. If we love him, we will keep his commandments. And the church goes on to say, the son of God loved me and gave himself up for me. And that's a quote from St. Paul's letter. He has loved us with a human heart. Yes, he really did become man. For this reason, the sacred heart of Jesus, pierced by our sins and for our salvation, is quite rightly considered the chief sign and symbol of that love with which the divine redeemer continually loves the eternal father and all human beings without exception. God is love and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. And, and I just, you know, look at the scripture readings that we have today. There's a three year cycle of reading. Um, I think they did year C is I, if I believe correctly at mass. Yeah. The, the reading is from year C 
from the prophet Ezekiel and then from Romans and from Luke. But all of these readings emphasize love and they emphasize that God loved us first. It's not that we love God. It's that God loved us first. He called us out of nothingness into existence out of love so that he could share his love and his life with us. Well, you know what? Every single baby that's ever conceived only comes into existence by the direct intention of God because if God doesn't make a human soul for that child, that child is not going to grow. You can get a fertilized egg and sperm, and if God doesn't make a, a, an immortal soul to infuse into that, that fertilized egg and sperm, it can't grow. The soul is the life principle. Without the soul, that life can't continue. And so God intends for every child to live. And it doesn't matter what the circumstances of the conception were. That doesn't mean it's right to go around sinning. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that every single child is innocent and deserves a right to live. And we have no right to determine ahead of time that, well, because of the circumstance of this child's conception or because of the poverty of its parents, this child is going to grow up in misery and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, go read history. Jesus Christ was born into poverty. Where was he born? Where, where, where did Mary put him? <laughs> oh, yeah, in a manger, in a stable. I mean, seriously, what would the modern world say? Oh, my gosh, this Joseph and Mary couple from Nazareth, who, how dare they have children? They, they can't even find a place for themselves to live, you know? And then, and then they had to go to Egypt, and, and they mm -hmm. were refugees and, and immigrants, and they lived there for a while. And, but Joseph was a hardworking man. But that didn't mean he was rich. You know, the amount of money a couple has, it's not. But remember that having children should be kept within marriage because every child has a right to be born to a father and mother who love them. And that is to a man and woman who have committed themselves to each other for life in the sacrament of matrimony. And God established marriage. God is the one who made the rules concerning marriage. And, and all of this ties in. And when we start talking about a right to privacy and, oh, well, you have no right to tell couples how to live their married life and blah, blah, blah. Well, God told us how. And so the church has an obligation to tell us what is God's will for marriage. And his will for marriage is union and procreation. And anybody who makes up this pretended right to privacy, which was not part of the Constitution. It's not part of our country's founding. You know, it goes pretty far, doesn't it? It's funny. People say, you know, could, could you have imagined in 1980 what the world looks like today? Mm -hmm. Well, could you imagine how bad it could look in the next 20 years or the next 40 years? Well, we could, but we can also pray that the heart of Jesus triumph. I believe that today's decision and that it being announced on today is a sign from God that he definitely, you know, I mean, obviously he had a hand in this. These people are godly people and they're prayerful people and they're asking God. And they're also people who are committed to the founding principles of our country. And just a quick note, not only do you believe that this was from God, uh, there's a Channel 7 News report that former President Trump says that I didn't do it. It was God that overturned Roe versus Wade. Amen. And I thought that was a very humble statement to make as a former president, because let's be honest, he was the instrument God used as the most pro-life president in our entire history 
to pick the Supreme Court justices that made the difference in this decision. Now, I agree with him. That was a very good thing for him to say. I, I, you know, God just uses instruments. It's not really ultimately God does any good, and we're thankful for it. But I just wanted to give him kudos on that because I didn't expect him to say that. He's a kind of a gruff kind of guy. <laughs> and, you know, for him to say that, I'm like, wait, that's Trump? But, you know, yeah. again, I'm looking at policies, not personalities. Right. And again, I, you know, it's funny. I remember when he was running for president, people say, well, he's uh, they, an, a narcissist. A, a narcissist. Well, that's interesting that he's a narcissist. Um, he risked his whole political career yep. because he saw America going in a direction that was not according to the Constitution. Right. He, it, political career. It wasn't political. His whole career, his whole fortune as as a, a businessman. He wasn't a politician. He's not a politician. He's a businessman. Mm-hmm. And he said, I could do something for our country to make it better. And even though he was fought by people in his cabinet, and why was it that people were constantly leaving his cabinet? Because they didn't agree with him. They didn't agree with his policies. They didn't agree with his emphasis on life. They didn't agree with his emphasis on America first, make America great again. They just wanted to go along to get along and make America into another socialist nation. What difference does it make? We're at the top. We're the elite. We'll, we're, the, we're the elitists. You know, it's so beautiful. I heard, a, a, you know, and it's so beautiful that he, yes, he acknowledges, no, God does the good. It's God who does the good. Yes, I recommended these Supreme Court justices because they're good constitutionalists they know the constitution and that's what they've supported in their courts they've supported the constitution they've upheld it and this is an acknowledgement and you know warren said it he said when they passed roe versus wade he said this is either the greatest thing we've ever done or the absolute worst Mm. what was the absolute worst they reinterpreted the constitution and they ran roughshod over the constitution he ran roughshod over the court to get the thing passed and he had conflict of interest because he had family members who worked for Planned Parenthood. That's a fact. And that's, those are the facts. And so we, we need to ask God to intervene. We have to stop killing our children. We have to stop killing each other. We have to stop hating each other. And, and I don't hate anyone in, in the, the people who want to kill children, the, the, the abortion movement. I don't hate any of them. I pray for their conversion, that they realize and recognize that every life is sacred. Look what happened to Dr. Bernard Nathanson. You know, Nathanson wanted to prove that the child in the womb felt no pain. Here he was. He'd done 75,000 abortions himself, right? That's right. And so he makes this film. He takes a camera and he goes into the womb and he, because they had ultrasound now, and he uses the ultrasound to film the baby's murder. And you know what? He got a conversion. He saw the baby suffer and he turned his life around. He turned his life over to the Lord and he said, mea culpa, mea culpa, mea culpa. But he turned to God. This is where we need to turn. The devil will tempt all of those who've had abortions, all of those who've helped people have abortions to either get angry at the pro-life people and just hate them and say, you're mean and you're nasty and you just want it to be miserable or to hate themselves. No. We need to turn to God and we need to bring love, love into our society, the love of Jesus Christ, the heart of Jesus Christ, the reign of the sacred heart of Jesus. Let his heart reign, heart of Jesus, king and center of all hearts. Rule thou supreme in our home and in every home, in our society, in our state, in our nation, in our church. Thine we are, O Lord, thine we will be. Give ourselves to Jesus 
and ask him to rule over us. And when we will answer to God, well, each of us individually will answer to God and turn to God and say, I have sinned. Help me, Lord. And look at the Ten Commandments and say, I resolve not to break these commandments. With the help of your grace, Lord, I will keep them. Then we can have freedom. But when we refuse to follow the Ten Commandments, there are a lot of despots out there who are more than happy to enslave us. You know, we, we just and recently, you know, you have the elitists. They have their they had their their summit meeting and it wasn't supposed to be leaked. And 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 Klaus Schwab is up there and he's saying, I will take their houses and I'll take their cars mm-hmm. and I'll take everything that's theirs and I'll put them in these little apartment houses and they'll be my slaves and they'll be so happy. Mm-hmm. Will we be happy being slaves? Is that what we were made for? We weren't made to worship men. We were made to worship God and to live in union with him. God doesn't, we're not slaves. We're his children, his very dear children. He wants us to love. God is love. And this is what the heart of Jesus reveals to us. And he loves those little babies and he loves their mothers and he loves the doctors too. So let us all turn to the Lord and beg for his mercy. He's continued mercy upon our nation and the conversion of all hearts that we will turn our hearts back to God and we will allow the Lord to rule in our world. I hear music. Thank you for joining us on Five with the Barbers. Don't go away. We will be back. God is doing mighty things in our world. Let him work in our heart. Each of us. Now back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome, welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, June 24, 2022, this historic day, this feast of the solemnity of the sacred heart of Jesus, where we honor the heart of Jesus and pray and sacrifice for the coming of the reign of the sacred heart of Jesus. So we want, we're talking about the sacred heart of Jesus. We're talking about the scriptures and what it says about that. And then what does that, how does that affect us on this historic day in our country and especially the lives of the children and the mothers and their fathers also. You know, so oftentimes in the whole world of today, it's like, oh, well, the mother, the mother owns the child and the father's just kind of a, you know, appendage there. No, no. God made the family, father, mother, child, as a reflection of his own life, the inner life of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. St. John Paul II said, God is the original family because in God there is fatherhood, there is sonship, and the essence of the family, which is love. So what does the church teach us here about the sacred heart of Jesus? Well, in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 766, and remember, Father Glenn Botton, our um, pastor here at Our Lady of Grace um, Church, Our Lady of Grace Parish, it's a parish of the ordinary in union with the chair of Peter. He's a former Episcopalian priest, Anglican Episcopalian, and he said that while he was Protestant, he was using the Catechism of the Catholic Church to prepare his sermons because it was such a great commentary on Scripture. So it says, The church is born primarily of Christ's total self-giving for our salvation, anticipated in the institution of the Eucharist and fulfilled on the cross. At the Last Supper, Jesus instituted the Eucharist. He gives us his own body and blood, soul and divinity under the appearance of bread and wine, to nourish our souls, to give us the bread of immortality and make us ready for eternal life. 
the origin and growth of the church are symbolized by the blood and water which flowed from the open side of the crucified Jesus. And you have that, you know, in, in, in the Gospel of John, you have that in John 19, where the soldier pierces the side of Jesus. For it was from the side of Christ as he slept, the sleep of death upon the cross, that there came forth the wondrous sacraments of the whole church. As Eve was formed from the sleeping Adam's side, so the church was born from the pierced heart of Christ hanging dead on the cross. You see, Jesus Christ is the new Adam. And just as Eve was born from his side, the church was born from the side of Christ as he slept in death on the cross. So Christ pours out his whole life. He holds nothing back. His love is poured out until there's nothing left to pour out. And then he continues pouring it out because from eternity, being God, and yes, he is still has his human nature. He is the God man for all eternity. So he still has his human heart in eternity and he still loves us with a human heart. He still loves his father in heaven with a human heart. <laughs> you know, Jesus of Nazareth loved his heavenly father with his human heart as well as his divine love. So God is there and, and he, he, he pours out his life. You know, Christ Remember the, the, the quote that I quoted from Galatians 2.20. The son of God loved me and gave himself for me, for each one of us, as if we were the only ones. And we have this historic day in our country where the right to life is now, can be protected by any individual state. What Roe versus Wade did was seven men on the Supreme Court decided that no state could have its rights in regards to the transmission of human life. Between Griswold versus Connecticut in 1968 and Roe versus Wade and Doe versus Dalton in the 1970s, the Supreme Court, a certain number of men on the Supreme Court, it, wasn't, it was never a unanimous decision, decided for the whole country that there was this right to privacy which never existed in the Constitution and that by that right to privacy, therefore, no state in the union could pass laws that would protect the transmission of human life. You know, it's interesting. People brag on the Catholic Church about her, her um, stance on contraceptives and abortion and marriage. Well, it's because God revealed it. God made life. God made marriage. He told Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. And even after the, you know, some, some, I, we, we've heard some people claim that, well, he said that in the beginning, but what about once man sinned and then all this other? Well, after the flood, remember man had sinned so much that God decides to destroy the world through a flood. And what does he tell Noah and his sons when they come off the ark? Be fruitful and multiply. So children are always only and everywhere in scripture spoken of as a blessing a blessing, a gift from God, a blessing, the fruit of the womb, like the arrows in the quiver of a warrior. Oh, the happiness of the man who has filled his quiver with these arrows. Ask an archer who's a warrior, would he go into battle with one or two arrows in his quiver by choice? Or would he try and fill that quiver full? 
If he's filled it full, he will have no cause for shame when he disputes with his foes in the gateway. So when we stand before God, if we have been open to life in marriage and been willing to accept children lovingly as God sends them, not demanding from God that we have this number or that number or this little or that much or whatever, just accepting the children God sends to us as a gift, just as our own life is a gift. Your life is a gift. You're precious and dear to God. He loves you. And there's no one out there who's had an abortion or contemplated an abortion or who commit any crime that, that by doing that made God hate you. God's not capable of hatred except for sin. He hates sin. That's what he hates. And he hates when you sin, not because he hates you, but because it destroys you. It destroys us as human beings. We were made in God's image. And when we sin, it destroys God's image in us. We are beautiful. The saint said that if you saw a soul in the state of grace, you would be sorely tempted to worship it. Because in the state of grace, a soul shares in God's life. And they resemble God. And it's hard to distinguish between the grace of God and the soul and God himself. It's so beautiful. And we are beautiful when we are in grace. So anyone, anyone who has thought that, you know, they should be allowed to kill their children or they have killed their children either. And a lot of women, and I know this, I've been in the pro-life movement. My husband and I, women don't go to the clinic because they want to kill a baby. They go because they're in a crisis and they need help. And if somebody would just say to them, you know, there's another way. They'd be more than happy to take it. But abortion clinics, the, the, the people who answer the phone and the girls who are trained there to counsel women are trained by high-pressure marketers, and they're trained to sell abortions. We know this on the witness of former abortionists, former abortion clinic workers, former abortion clinic owners who hired high-pressure telemarketers to train their people to sell abortions. It's interesting. If it hadn't been for Griswold versus Connecticut in 1965, we wouldn't have had Roe versus Wade. You know, people say, well, if women would just take their contraceptives, you know, they wouldn't have to have abortions. No, contraceptives are not always contraceptive, number one. Oftentimes they are abortifacient, but they also fail. And and so people get pregnant. You remember Abby Johnson, Unplanned? Watch the movie. And that song, that beautiful song, you know. <laughs> We're a miracle. We are a miracle. Every child that exists is a miracle, a work of art, a masterpiece. They're not a choice. They're a human being made in God's image as a person to be loved. No, children are human beings made in God's image as persons to be loved. And anyone who's had an abortion or has counseled someone to have an abortion or has helped someone get an abortion, go to confession. Go to the Lord. If you're not Catholic, go to the Lord and tell him you're sorry. God is more than happy and willing to forgive our sins. We're all sinners, honey. We're all in this together. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God came to save sinners. And so, yes, he's given our country now this chance, this chance to redeem itself. For over 40 years, abortion has been legal in this country. Induced surgical abortion. 
has been legal in this country. Okay? But it's wrong. To, to deliberately intend to kill an innocent human being is just plain wrong. And it's not protected under the Constitution. And this is what Justice Thomas is talking about. There's a lot of decisions that the court made that were under a false right to privacy. No, actually, it hurts society when people start killing their children. When people start saying morality is just a private thing. No, it's not. If morality were a private thing, why is murder illegal? Why can we put people in jail for killing people? Why do we put people in jail for stealing? Why do we put people in jail for, for taking drugs? Why do we put people in jail for beating other people up? You know, assault. Because <laughs> murder, theft, violence, they're not morally neutral. And yes, the society has a right to make laws to protect itself from these things and people who do these things. And just because it's a doctor killing someone, that doesn't make it any more right. Doctors are supposed to be healers. When you start, you know, when you legalize abortion and euthanasia, you make your doctors paid hitmen. Think about it. What do you call someone who's paid to kill people? A hitman. And you know what? Hitmen don't have consciences. Monsignor William Smith pointed this out years ago. He said, do you think a hitman loses any sleep the night before he does a job? No, he's killed his conscience. So we have to pray for our doctors that their consciences will come back to life and that they will stop killing the babies and that women will realize that there's another alternative, there's another way and that God will forgive all of us if we just turn to him and ask him for mercy. God is love. He is mercy. He is infinite goodness and truth and beauty. And we praise him and bless him and glorify his holy name. And don't go away. We'll be right back. Now back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome. Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, June the 24th, 2022. We give praise and glory to God for all his goodness, his mercy, his bountiful love for us. You know, the Supreme Court in 1973, how many years ago was that? See, 83, 93, 03, 13, you know, more than more than four, almost 50 years ago now, 49 years ago, had made this just absolutely insane ruling, unreasonable ruling that under a right to privacy, people could have a doctor kill their children. And there is no right to privacy. You know, morality is not a private thing. Even when we sin privately, it affects everyone around us. There's nothing as a private sin because in Jesus Christ, we are all one. We're all part of his body, the church. And the church suffers when one of its members suffers. And when we sin, when we sin, we're sick, if it's a venial sin, or we, we're dead, if it's mortal sin. You know, and it's like that. If you, you know, if you hurt your little finger, your whole body hurts. If you hurt your little toe, it's just, oh my goodness, the pain. Well, what if your finger dies? You know, um, all the worse, Right. And, and only God can bring us back to life if we're dead in sin. But he wants to. Jesus Christ died on the cross to bring us back to life. He loves us so much. 
He died on the cross to save us from our sins. And we celebrate that today, the heart of Jesus. Yes, he had a human heart, and his heart was really pierced. It was pierced by a lance on the cross, and the blood and water flowed out. Look at John 19. And from that, the church has always seen that as the sign of the sacramental life of the church. Baptism, confirmation, Holy Eucharist, confession, marriage, holy orders, extreme unction, anointing of the sick. That's extreme unction. It's called extreme unction. It's called the anointing of the sick. Now, but the, the sacraments, and what do the sacraments do? They're outward signs of grace. God gives us grace through his sacraments. It's not that the sacraments somehow, that the, the, you know, the church came up with this. Jesus established the sacraments in his church. He taught his apostles. He gave them the sacraments as a way to bring grace to his church. And of course, the sacrament of all sacraments is the Eucharist because it is Jesus Christ himself, body, blood, soul, and divinity, present under the appearance of, of bread and wine. And it's interesting. There have been numerous Eucharistic miracles in the world. And every time these have been examined by scientists, where the, the Eucharisted bread, the bread that has the priest has said the words of consecration over, it's not bread anymore. It's now the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, his risen, ascended, glorified body. But whenever that's been examined by scientists, it's heart tissue. It's his heart. And it's not just his heart. It's his whole being. But the heart symbolizes the whole person and the love that he has for us. The church says, we venerate and honor the heart of Jesus just as we invoke his holy name. We adore the incarnate word and his heart, which out of love for men, he allowed to be pierced by our sins. That's why he allowed the soldier to physically pierce his heart, to represent that our sins pierced his heart first. Christian prayer loves to follow the way of the cross in the Savior's steps. Where the head is gone, the members of the body go also. Jesus didn't come to eradicate human suffering. He came to fill it with his presence. All of our suffering can be offered up in union with Jesus to help redeem the world. All of us who are suffering, all the suffering in the world, you can offer your sufferings. Jesus, it is for love of you, for the conversion of sinners, in reparation for the sins committed against the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Pray for the conversion of sinners. Pray for the conversion of sinners. Jesus, it is for love of you, for love of you. That beautiful story of that 12-year-old boy who was in the hospital. He'd been sick in the hospital for three months, but he'd been sick for a long time. And the priest came and talked to him about redemptive suffering. 12 years old, and he began to weep. And Father said, why are you weeping? And he said, because, Father, I've wasted an entire year of suffering. Nobody told me that I could offer my sufferings in union with Jesus. What? Tell everyone we can offer our sufferings in union with Jesus. They have meaning. We're not here to escape from suffering. We're here to unite our sufferings with Jesus Christ. Our suffering has meaning. And the little boy wasn't feeling sorry for himself that he was suffering. He was just sorry that he hadn't united his suffering earlier to Jesus. He was more than willing to do it. So many true stories. A friend of Terry's years ago 
John Leach, he went in, he was supposed to have a business meeting with some man, and he's waiting at, at this restaurant, and he's waiting for the man, and the man never showed up. And he said, well, I'm here. I'm going to go in and have lunch. So he goes in to have lunch, and he makes the sign of the cross before he eats his lunch. And this older woman is sitting at a table kitty corner from him, and she says, or across from him, she says, young man, why did you do that? And he kind of looks around like, who's he, who's she talking to? So he goes, and he said, do you mean me? Yeah, what did I do what? That, the sign of the cross, why'd you do that? Oh, well, I always bless myself before I eat because life is a gift from God and everything that I have is a gift and I want to thank him for it and I'm grateful for all that God has done and, and uh, life has meaning. And, and she began to cry and he said, ma'am, are you okay? And she said, well, actually, no, my, my husband just recently died. Um, we'd been married for, I'm sorry, I've forgotten the number. It was years. I don't know if it was 60-some years or 70 years. They'd been married for a very long time. And she said, I'm, I'm just so sad. I miss him. And he said, well, I said, ma'am, he said, do you understand that you're suffering now, this missing of your husband? You can offer that in union with Jesus. You can offer it for your husband that his time in purgatory will be shortened. You can offer it for other people, other members of your family. You can offer your sufferings in union with Jesus. And she begins to weep. And, and a waiter comes up to him at this point and said, what did you do? Why are you upsetting this woman? He said, I, I didn't do anything. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. And the woman kind of waved her hand at the waiter. No, 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 it's okay, it's okay. You know, to, to assure him it was okay. And, and then finally she gets her composure and, and, and she said, thank you. You see, I was going to make this my last meal. Because I didn't think my life had meaning anymore. And I intended to take my life. So a sign of the cross made in a public place. And then talking to this woman about redemptive suffering. And that even though she was lonely and suffering, her suffering had meaning. And this everyone, our suffering has meaning. Jesus Christ fills our suffering with the meaning of his own suffering. When we unite our suffering to Christ, it becomes infinite in value and he uses it to save souls. It's not what we do. It's what God does. And he loves us. And you see, God has given us this reprieve now in our country. He has given us Supreme Court justices who recognize and realize that our Constitution was violated in 1973 with Roe versus Wade, and in 1968 with Griswold versus Connecticut, and, and even after that with other ones, with Lawrence and Obergefell. And all of these, they, they, they're, they're trampling upon our Constitution. They're trampling upon our rights as American citizens. They're destroying our country. You see, when we're no longer a moral people, when God is no longer the one to whom we are all responsible, then anything goes. You know, I can do whatever I want. If a mother can kill her children, well, if the purpose of marriage is pleasure, well, then why does marriage have to be between a man and a woman? Yeah, we, when, we, when we walk away from God's way, we get things confused and distorted. Sin, sin darkens the intellect. Sin weakens the will. And you know what else it does? It destroys the image of God in us. So some people say, well, sin makes you stupid. But it also makes you weak and it makes you ugly. And it makes us stupid in the sense that we can no longer see the truth. We make up our own truth. And when we give ourselves over to sin, then we begin to make up our own truth. But Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is unchanged and unchanging. His law doesn't change. 
The Ten Commandments weren't ten suggestions that were done away with by Jesus. No, he said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So we strive every day to do that. That's why the Catholic Church has confession. So that when we fail, and we do fail, we're all sinners. We're all in this together. We're not asking God to come and take all the bad guys out. We're asking God to come and convert us all, to convert all of us sinners back to himself. That was the point of the cross. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son so that all who believe in him might not perish but have eternal life. Sin destroys us. It degrades us. It degrades society. If we don't have morality in society, we degrade ourselves and those around us. And we have gone very far away from the law of God in our world. We are starting to live. We're trying to live as if we can make our own reality. No, reality is what God made. In the beginning, God made them, male and female. He said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Not destroy it, but bring it under subjection to the law and the will of God. Bring it all back to God. Everything comes from God. Everything belongs to God. And this is what Jesus Christ does. He recapitulates all things in himself. And he redeems us from sin. And we have the power in Jesus Christ to give up our sins and to live a life free of sin if we will get down on our knees and beg him for the help that we need. Those of us who are suffering, beg God for mercy and beg God to restrain those who have threatened evil. Lord Jesus, send out your angels to restrain the people who want to do violence for the people who have threatened violence and evil in our society. Yes, abortion is an evil. It was an evil against the innocent. And we repent, Lord. We repent of this horrible crime that has been committed against your innocent children. The blood of the innocent cries out from the soil for vengeance. The blood of Abel, the blood of the innocent, cries out from the soil for vengeance. But Lord Jesus, we ask you to have mercy. Remember the price that you have paid for us and pour out your merciful love upon us. Send forth your angels to restrain those who would do evil. Convert our hearts. Ask the angels to whisper into the ears of all their charges to repent of their sins and turn back to God before it is too late. God has designs of mercy. The thoughts of his hearts are from age to age to rescue us from death and feed us in times of famine. Lord Jesus, have mercy on us. So pray, sacrifice, beg God for the continued conversion of our country, for the inauguration of the culture of life and the full flowering of the culture of life, that we will respect the life that God has given us and be grateful to God for all of his graces and his mercy. And all of those who are suffering, if you can't support us financially, offer your sufferings that the gospel of the Lord Jesus will be preached in every corner of the world. And your prayer is powerful. Please join us again next week on Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio.